following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Smalls-Angelos. And Smalls, this week, Seth Everett, and I don't even have a really good way to describe him. I called him a media mogul in the episode, but Smalls, I think the thing about this episode is Seth's a media guy. He's on, uh, on the radio, does two podcasts, coming to the Underdog Network, Sports with Friends, and Hall of Justice. But I, I think the best part about this interview is how much he's done in his career. And, and it makes me sound like right now when I'm talking that like, oh, he's really old, which he makes jokes about, but also that... He doesn't really have a co- one thing that defines him, and I totally disagree. This is a guy that's covered a bunch of Super Bowls, covered a bunch of World Series, and Smalls, if you had to take a shot at what you would say Seth, Seth Everett's role is now, you know what, what would you say? Yeah, Seth is just doing him. That's what I would say. I mean, it's really it's it's awesome. Like he just he's had so many different um, opportunities, and he's. That, that's kind of the media world, though, especially the way it's been shifting. So he's been doing so much different stuff. And I think he just kind of rolls with it and enjoys what he does. I think he really – and he mentions this. He loves podcasting. Um, kind of has control over that. He loves what he does there. And uh, baseball's been his uh, his gravy and his you know kind of go-to. So I respect Seth. I mean, I don't think he's ever you know really stopped and said – I don't know if I want to do this or, you know, uh, when it's gotten really tough, he's just kind of kept going. So I really respect that about him. Yeah. And I think that he's the type of guy that when I thought of what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was in middle school and high school, and I really wanted to like be a writer and be in media, like Seth's had the type of career that like I thought everybody would have, you know, that I thought I'd have, like he's covered the Phillies, covered the Mariners. He was covered the Broncos you know, he did a year uh, of a show with where he worked with Prince. And I, we talk about that on the show. But he's a guy that now he's a Forbes contributor. Uh, he was doing MLB Insider for a long time on Sirius and now on NBC Sports. And I just think that, like, that's what the life was for media guys way back. You know, not even way back, but, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you just were all over the country covering different teams. And Seth had a story for everything, Smalls. This mm-hmm. is probably the, the the least that you and I talked. And most of the time, we just kind of like asked some questions and sat back and enjoyed it because Seth was telling stories about John Elway, about Prince, about yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. And it's just it's a life that that we didn't know. And I think like it was awesome. Uh, and you know, we talked a little bit about like Infinity War and but Smalls like to have that many stories and and his like breadth of knowledge on so many different topics. I just really enjoyed our conversation with Seth. And I think it's fitting since his main podcast is called sports with friends. And that's what this felt like to us, right? This was the first time we ever met him, but it felt like we were just kind of shooting the shit with somebody we'd known for 20 years. It was unlike like any, you know, episode we've done traditionally. I mean, it was really just going back and forth. We weren't really just asking questions or learning about him. We learned through him, through his experiences and his stories, which was super cool for us. I have a question for you. You said, you know, Seth was 
you know, that's like kind of what you wanted to get into. And I had known you, you know, obviously when we went to college, you were a journalism major. Um, what drew you to that? What, what made you want to pursue journalism? Because I feel like it's kind of the same like stuff per, uh, pursue journalism and do all the traveling and different teams, sports and things like that. I mean, Smalls, I, I wanted, wanted to be the guy who had a back page column on the Washington Post, you know, like I wanted, I wanted to be like D- Tony Kornheiser that everybody opened it and read my opinion. I give my opinion when people don't want it. I love that. So, yeah. yeah like, 20, that was 20 only- years too late. As the as the newspaper industry shifted, maybe so. I, I'm probably a bit too long winded, as I'm sure people are thinking while I'm saying this. But I, yeah, I, that was it. I, I thought there was nothing cooler than being paid to sit at a game and watch it happen. And and I remember like very distinctly. And I'll tell a really short story, and then we'll we got a couple housekeeping things, Smalls. But I remember sitting up in my house by myself. Uh, my brother was in college. My mom was asleep watching. USC and Texas in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Vince Young comes in, unbelievable performance. They win late game. And I remember Vince Young rushing for that last touchdown and like disappearing into that huddle of people. And I remember going to the school. I think I was a junior in high school at the time. Maybe I was, yeah, ju- I had to have been a junior. Yeah. I remember I going in. Year, I remember going in and thinking, like, man, I wish I had a column at our school newspaper, which I did the following year because I wanted to write about that game. Cause like those moments, when I was in high school and in middle school and stuff like that was sports was it, man. Like that was the most, that was the coolest thing out there. And like yes. to be able to give my opinion on something we watched and then have an opportunity to travel and like be somewhere for that, like be in the Rose bowl for that game, like against USC and cover, you know, some sort of like amazing individual performance. Like I just thought that was the coolest thing out there. And I just, I will never forget like my thought process. It was like one o'clock in the morning on the East coast. I had to get up for school the next day in like four hours. And I was so jacked up smalls about the game. Like I was so fired up and I wasn't like a Vince young or you, I I liked Vince young, but I wasn't like a USC or Texas fan. It's a great game atmosphere. Like everything it had, that game really did have everything. And as like a young sports fan, all I could think of the next day was like, I wanted to read what people had to say about it. And that's what I wanted to do when I grew up is like, I wanted to be the guy that kind of like shared his experiences and his knowledge and his opinions. And now you know, you can do that. You you can be Stephen A. Smith or Nick Wright or Skip Bayless, but I just, I don't know. I, maybe I'm not quite that opinionated, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. I, and so, like, that that's kind of where I was. And with Seth, it was cool, like, just to hear. It kind of took me back a good bit, you know, hearing about his time at Syracuse and the people that he worked with there. And I it was cool, man. It, it, I, I, yeah, exactly. And so... I kind of, I kind of like went a little bit down memory lane, you know. I kind of got a bit nostalgic of my teen years, if you will. And I think it, I talk about that. We talk a little bit about like the 2001 World Series, and I think you kind of sat back as me and Seth were talking about Byung Young Kim and like different love, guys. Yeah, that was actually awesome because Byung Young Kim was a weird fuck. Like that, that guy was just that that pitchy motion was completely new to me at that time. I think I was 11 years old and I was like, no one's, I've never seen anyone do this. Maybe like Paul Bird of the Phillies kind of had that motion, <laughs> but young, young Kim just used to come in and people would be like, what is this wacky dude doing? And he'd strike everybody out. So yeah, I remember. That stuff is, we don't talk about it enough. We, we get very, very serious on the show a lot. And that's, I appreciate that about Seth, like poked a ton of fun at himself, poked a ton of fun at other people, but it's just like that. Those types of things is why you want to be in media, I think. And and you know we've had plenty of other media people on the show, and we'll continue to have other media members still come on. But 
I think like his was the one episode where it's like, man, I remembered why you listen to talk radio. We talked about talk radio. And now his thing with podcasts is like, it's really direct. Like you can pause it. You can listen to whoever you can listen to multiple podcasts. You're not competing for airtime, even though yeah. we talk about ratings all the time. And those conversations were really interesting. And, and as people, we aren't media lifers, you know, hopefully we will be right. But that sure. stuff from him where he has to think about his bottom line and he has to think about his best interests. Yes. Shit smalls. That stuff was really interesting. It, it, it's a, it's a different game. And that's the last thing I'll say is just, what he said about podcasts, he really understands that the business of podcasting really well. And I think he really understands the new market and why radio is kind of, you know, it's fading but just because of the on-demand feature. It's just like Netflix. It's just like Hulu. You can take, you can listen to different perspectives and it isn't contentious. Like I listen to a ton of different podcasts. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not listening to only underdog stuff, right? Listen to part of my take. I love part of my take. I love listening to different tidbits from people. So that's what's cool about podcasts. I don't think it is this space that is so, you know, old school and that like, oh, this, uh, this person's getting better ratings than me and this person's getting better, better ratings than them. It, it's much more together. It's a community. And, uh, you know, a lot more people can kind of enjoy different perspectives. So I thought he was really, you know, really good with the podcasting stuff. And I kind of learned some stuff about it. Yeah. And I think he recognized that early. At least it seems that way. Uh, quick shout out, just episode sponsor for another week. Uh, Team Synced, our guys, we've talked a good bit about them, but check them out. Just won't go into it here, but teamsynced.com backslash CYS. Anybody in the coaching field, if you just want to make your life easier from a scheduling standpoint and get back to, you know, being able to coach basketball, coach football, coach hockey, whatever it is you do, uh, one-stop shop scheduling app, get all your information on there, easy on iOS and uh, Android, teamsync.com backslash C-Y-S, T-E-A-M-S-Y-N-C-E-D.com backslash C-Y-S. Check them out. A couple other housekeeping things, Smalls, uh, pick and winners debut last Friday, this Friday, we will have the first week of our guest picker contest. So DM us picks uh, at Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot at gmail.com, and Create Your Shot on Facebook. Send us picks at any of those avenues, and you are entered to be able to pick with us in the uh, bowl game episode. That's right, Smalls, because this is your baby. I just want to make sure that I got the information correct. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's so, it's all good. So we'll keep track of it. Uh, just when you send us the information, make sure you put your email on there and we will send a spreadsheet out. I think actually Daddy Vegas, a.k.a. Bart, will send the spreadsheet out to update everybody's scores. And then also anybody who goes 5-0 and in a week, uh, you don't necessarily have to be part of the picks contest. But if you see a week where you love five picks, shoot us five football picks. Can be college or NFL or both. Got to do it by Friday night at midnight Eastern. But shoot us the picks, and if you go 5-0, and I will send you a koozie. I'll post a picture of the koozies next week. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to finally have some merch, which will be really good. Right in time for football season, guys going out and tailgating smalls, you got to have your bottle or your can. Of course. Whatever you're drinking, maybe you got a Polar if you're Kevin Driscoll or if you're, uh, you know, I don't even know who's Scott Summer. you got a Pacifico with a lime. Now <laughs> he's up in Portland, probably not. But, you know. Any, uh, so we'll have some of those available for uh, people to win in giveaways. Anything and- you want to keep cold, Tommy. What's up? <laughs> there you go. I have, no, I have no idea. Tommy boy. Uh, <laughs> Come on, man. The mini <laughs> fridge. Last thing. I've talked a ton about this, but haven't really gotten through to people. I hope listeners take this seriously. Uh, five-star ratings are awesome as usual, but reviews are the most important. So 
drop us a line on iTunes and Stitcher. Let us know how, what you think. Just you know, drop us a little one one sentence, one paragraph if you like what you hear, and then uh, leave a rating. Drives us up the rankings, helps us with ad money, helps us improve the show, get more merch, get more stuff for giveaways. Uh, but as always, uh, next week, next Tuesday is our one year anniversary of doing this show. Seems insane. So I thank you to everyone who has both been a guest on the show and everyone who has listened. We've had an absolute blast doing it. And as you can tell in this coming episode, we did with Seth Everett as well. So thanks as always for listening and enjoy this week with Seth Everett. Welcome on, Seth Everett, uh, veteran broadcaster. Wouldn't let me call him uh, media mogul. Just wanted to clear that up, guys. So we got it's very humble. But uh, Sounds NBC Lex Luthor, <laughs> NBC Sports Radio, couple podcasts, Sports with Friends, Hall of Justice. But a guy that uh, has been doing podcasts for a long, long time. Uh, you know, Smalls and I have been in the game for a year, so we're hoping to learn something. But uh, Seth, really appreciate you joining us. And uh, how are you today, man? Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got a, got a nice setup, and uh, everybody I've met with uh, with Underdog has been really, really kind and very, very uh, forthcoming. So it's been very nice. One one of the things about Underdog, and I think Smalls will back me up on this, is that uh, they took you know the two two of us former college basketball coaches who, who didn't really have a lot of direction were like, hey, we just want to kind of talk into mics for an hour, and and Chris and the Underdog were like, that's great. Yeah, we'll put you on the network. No big deal. <laughs> So. Oh, it's good that the standards are so high. It really says a lot about sports <laughs> friends. We like to think that we paved the way for for people like you, Seth. That, that oh, now sure. they can they can shoot for the stars because you know they got the foundation built. You know, really. But right. right. So, I, just for people that don't know, uh, if you kind of want to go into your background a little bit and what you've been doing the last couple years, uh, you know, just let everybody know and and we can get it rolling. Whew. Uh, where do we begin? Um, well, I've had, you know, it just means I'm old, but uh, I've had a long career, uh, in a lot of cool cities. Uh, I worked, you know, I went to Syracuse University, but then, you know, worked in Syracuse to start. I uh, worked for the, the Syracuse football and basketball team, something I'm actually going to be doing again this, this fall. And then um, also worked in minor league hockey there and also minor league baseball. And I got a taste of the professional side of the business, not just the university side. And um, after after school, I was working in Syracuse, um, which was really weird because how do you you live on a campus when everyone's younger than you? <laughs> it's a difficult thing. <laughs> just a kind of an odd thing. Uh, but then in '96, uh, I moved to Denver. I uh, worked in Denver, Colorado, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, only you know got hired to be a morning show producer. I mean, really didn't have anything uh, to, to do, uh, but I wound up becoming the beat reporter for the Denver Broncos. Okay. And I wound do up it. doing uh, pre and post game for the Avalanche. And then I started covering the Rockies and the, the Broncos. The thing about the Broncos, you know, a lot of my career has been luck of, of being in the right place at the right time. Um, my second year covering the Broncos, they won the Super Bowl. 
That was the year they beat the Packers. Uh, you know, this one's for Elway. If you look, if you look in that film, there's like a 24 year old me, like standing in the background. Um, and, uh, you know, that got me some exposure because, you know, other stations, you know, don't forget this is the 90s. And, the, you know, sports radio is a booming industry. And so all these sports radio stations were asking to have me on. And I was in a Madden league. Um, you know, we, we were a dial up internet at the time, but I was in a Madden league with three guys from the Denver Broncos and those guys became really good friends. Cause don't forget I'm 24 at the time. So I'm right. their age. You're there. You know? Yeah. Right. So, so, um, and I never, I never used that, you know, to get in, you know, get a source or anything like that. Like that wasn't what my motivation was. I just was new in a town and these were nice people. And we played in the Madden League, and so they win the Super Bowl, and they invite me to a float in the parade. Wow. And that started going around the, 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 the stratosphere, so stations were calling me to have me on from a float in the parade. And that's how I met a station in Seattle. And I meet a station in Seattle, and like six months later, you know, I'm shortening this story just for the sake of your podcast. Um, but uh, I, I meet these guys in Seattle, and I wind up moving out to Seattle, and I live there for four years, uh, primarily covering the Seattle Mariners. And that's when I met Ken Griffey Jr., and I met, you know, Raul Abanez, and I met Lou Pinella. And, you know, just th- th- that was a great run. But again, luck of the draw. In 2000, they went I'm there for three games, years. Right? Well, no, that was that was 2001. <laughs> but in 2000, in 2000, they win the wild card, and they won it on the last day of the season. They had they were in Anaheim, and if they lost, they don't make the playoffs. And they win. We wound up going to the playoffs, and I wound up traveling with them to Chicago. They beat the White Sox, but then they played the Yankees in the ALCS. That's the year of the Subway Series, the yeah, Yankees yeah. versus the Mets. Yeah. That's the year, you know, in my head, David Justice hits the home run off Arthur Rhodes in game six, and that's the end of the Mariners season. And I met face-to-face with this new venture. MLB uh, was launching something called MLB Radio, and I am convinced that unless they meet me face-to-face, I don't have I don't have Keith David's voice. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't I'm not Joel Myers, you know, like they 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 met me and they got me. And you know, 3 months after that season, I wound up getting hired to move back to New York to be a host on MLB Radio, and that's only because of that Sunday. Like if the Mariners lose that Sunday, I am still in Seattle. I might be doing the podcasts, <laughs> but you know, like I don't have my kids. I don't have my wife. Like, I don't have any of that. It's all tied to that Sunday game. And then in 01, I worked for MLB Advanced Media. Um, I worked for MLB Radio for six years. And then, you know, we wound up doing stuff for the website and, and, and whatnot. And that's when I saw and I learned where all the bodies are buried. Um, you learn all these things just from being there. Um, that was the height of the steroid controversy. So I went to Capitol Hill twice. And, you know, I went to every All-Star game and every World Series and, and, and whatnot. And then in 08, I left there and I went to, and then it starts to get a little bouncy. Um, I went to Sirius. Then I signed an exclusivity deal with ESPN. I was hosting Baseball Tonight. Uh, Then I left to work for the New Jersey Nets. Uh, But then I worked for the Philadelphia Phillies because I couldn't get out of, you know, stay away from baseball for too long. Um, All the while, I joined Fox Sports Radio. That's how I met my wife. Um, And then I started doing things that are, startup around you know arrangements 
Um, I started working for a company called Spreecast. I will be so excited if you know what that is. Uh, only because I read your LinkedIn page. Oh, but, boo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Spreecast was, um, you know what Facebook Live is now? Um, it's kind of what Spreecast was designed. It was created by the people who created uh, StubHub. And and I thought, you know, they're not two jokers, you know, like these guys, you know, sold StubHub for millions of dollars. So they were starting this thing called Spreecast. And um, through a crazy turn of events we can talk about later in the podcast, I wound up working with Prince for a year. <laughs> what? <laughs> and 2013, I hosted a show that Prince, the musician, uh, produced in the background. Um, one of the craziest experiences of my life. And then, uh, but Spreecast folded because they were Flash-based and iPads don't do Flash. And so, you know, that was the end of Spreecast. And, and it was very funny. I remember meeting with the Spreecast guys and they had this whole wall of all their swag, like all their shirts and T-shirts and hats and things. And I go out to lunch with these guys and they're telling me about the end of Spreecast. And as that's happening, all I do is I say, you know what? I am going to take one of those shirts, <laughs> one of those. And I, <laughs> you know, I kind of knew the end. So it's very funny. Like every once in a while, I'll go to an event and I'll be wearing like a sweet, a Spreecast sweatshirt. And someone on Twitter will be like, I recognize that. I remember um, what Spreecast is. Yeah. That's so it's so funny. It's like, if you knew it, you knew it. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that was, that was what it was. But anyway, so then um, in 2014, I worked for the New York Mets. Um, and that was a disaster. And then, um, afterward, uh, I started working for NBC sports radio and then I hooked on with iHeartMedia, Entercom. Now I do this baseball insider thing. And recently I started, uh, con contributing to Forbes. So that's and then, my, and now we're here. I told you it's a long story. Yeah, Now we're now here 9am and all the while I I've ignored podcasting because podcasting was always my thing. Um, we were doing podcasts in 2005 before they were even called podcasts and, um, it was, re it's, it's really been fun. So uh, if, if people ask me like, what's my favorite thing to do? It's the podcast. I mean, by a million. Well, you actually have, so you have two podcasts, you have sports with friends, uh, which apparently there's only one prerequisite to be on. They, some, the person has to be your friend. And I looked through <laughs> or a friend of a friend or a friend. of a friend. Uh, we, Kevin play, Bacon. we played, Great. we played G Jewish geography. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, saw, I saw you just recently. No, no, I don't know how recently it was, but I saw like Richard Branson was on there and I was yep. curious like, yep. if you have a direct line to him, like we could use yeah. some cash, you know, if he's sure, interested yeah. in something like that. But I know you just, just had Andre Ward on about the contender on uh, epics, which I mean, it looks good. I know it's kind of getting revitalized, but did a bunch of stuff at the all-star game. And then you have another podcast called hall of justice, which you review superhero movies, which I'm excited to get to a little later on because I just watched Infinity War and I don't, I, I mean, it might be the best movie ever made. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how it got Best rated. movie ever made? <laughs> Maybe the best Marvel movie. <laughs> it's the best movie. Really? Did you say that? I don't, I just was, I was don't on, a, I was on a flight. To your audience, <laughs> I am so sorry. I mean, it's a good movie. It's not the best movie ever I made. I just have one question for you about that, and then we'll and then we'll dive back into sports for a second. And Superman two, feel free to check. Like, uh, Avengers: Infinity War is better than Superman two. I'm on a flight, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, this movie's really good. And then after like Thanos destroys everything, you know, takes over half the world, then Nick Fury decides he's going to page Captain Spoilers. Marvel. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Spoilers. 
if we have Captain Marvel on, we can beep Captain Marvel, you know? This guy's spoiling the movie. Are we doing, I mean, spoilers. Yeah. I I mean, mean, people, and the movie's been out for a long time. Here's the thing. The movie's been out for a long time. I don't know how many people have seen it. Obviously, we have a lot of coaches, so they don't have time to watch any movie. They only watch film. But I I just, I'm curious, like this, the the end scene, like after I watched the credits, the credits are like nine minutes long because everybody says like, you got to watch through the credits. And now we decide, like now, what the, the world's already like almost over. Now we're gonna we're gonna page Captain Marvel. I just I don't understand why didn't we think of that earlier? Well, Feels like we could have thought of that an hour and forty five minutes earlier. Maybe maybe could have fought against Thanos. You know, it's called it's called suspension of disbelief. It's a movie title. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you ruined everything. You know, but you know this. But you know this if you listen to the uh, Avengers Infinity Re- uh, War review on Hall of Justice, but. One of the things that I thought was it cheapened what was a good movie. Um, and here's the example. Um, in 2016, social media crushed Batman v Superman for killing Superman when everybody in the world knew that he was going to be in Justice League. And they thought, how could you insult your audience and assume that they are that stupid? And in the Marvel situation, I just think that Marvel throughout their history has always preyed on the intelligence of the fan community and in this case tried to assume that they were dumber than they are. So, for example, did did the executives in Marvel think that there's some guy, and I, I apologize for stereotyping, but there's some guy in Mississippi that walks out of Infinity War and goes, holy moly, they killed Black Panther. <laughs> I can't believe that they killed Spider-Man. Like, come on. Like, you're not that stupid. Black Panther made a billion dollars. They didn't kill him. And so why are you creating the myth that you did? Was it to scare children? Are, Are you trying to fool someone? Who was naive enough to buy into that? And that's my criticism of Infinity War. I, I can see, I can see that. I mean, because I actually watched them out of order. I think I watched Black Panther right after because I was on the plane, and I was like, "This is." I was like, "I wish." I must have been very confused because he, he was dead. dead. Exactly. I wish I had watched it before. You know, didn't understand anything about like the Jabari tribe. Like, but both both good movies. Just, but we'll we'll, we'll get back. Other oh, great movie. It's a great. It's a great movie. But to me, like that that end didn't have to happen. Like you had enough drama at the at that point. You had ha- you had built up and you you demeaned actual deaths that take place in the in the movie, and so like what am I supposed to walk away from the Gamora death? Am I supposed to walk away from the Vision death or Spider Man and Black Panther? Like all of a sudden they they they, they, they turn into yeah, feathers. this massive part and, of this franchise. It was I, I don't know I just to me to me it was just like Marvel Marvel's better than that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. The, the The goal, obviously, is to, you know, you, you made a billion dollars off, like, back-to-back movies. Now you're going to try to make a billion dollars off Captain Marvel. And then when you eventually bring Captain Marvel into the fold, which is probably 2019 or 2020, then you're hoping to make $5 billion, I guess. Because, you know, it, it, that whole movie was a battle, you know? The, people were battling literally the entire movie. It just was a fight. No, it's, a great, it's a great movie. It's a it's a great movie. We, I, I get much more passionate about it on Hall of Justice. I we, we went off. I, I I screamed at the guy I did the show with because um, I said we have to do this now. Like I, I am I am livid because it's it's very funny. My wife uh, used to work for Marvel. Oh really? And and she left on very good terms. And because of that, we always get invited to the screenings 
of these movies of the Marvel movies like a week before they come out. And it helped with the Hall of Justice because um, I can, you know, if it, it, I, I'm ready with the review, like the second, you know, the second the movie comes out. And um, the idea of spoilers, you know, to me, you know, people can be cruel on social media and I'm not I'm not denying that. But what they try not to do and what they try to, to not say is people don't go on Twitter and go, they killed Han Solo. Like they don't, they don't do that. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they try to, to, to let people see the movie. And so if you do a podcast where the first thing in the first word says warning, don't press play unless you've seen this movie that gets triple the download. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing because if a billion dollars are being made, then someone saw this movie and they want to see it. And if they're hearing actual broadcasters, you know, the one thing I, I, I take pride in, the Hall of Justice is not geek talk. You know, I, if you need to see, you know, the women I've dated, I, I can prove I have the, the word geek does not approach my, 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 my being. But the idea that um, you can take this from a professional standpoint, like I'm a I'm a broadcaster who's doing this. And, you know, the guy I do the show with a lot of the times, he's an artist and he does this like this is inside baseball kind of stuff. And that's the passion that we bring to that show. This is not a, and, and we're not going to do an episode like who would, who's faster, Superman or the Flash? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's like those aren't the topics. Like my favorite episode we did recently, um, Patty Jenkins, the director of uh, Wonder Woman's two, she directed Wonder Woman. Also, she put a uh, a photo of Chris Pine, the actor, in in uh, as Steve Trevor. In a, in, a, in a screenshot of, 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 of footage from the sequel of, of Wonder Woman. And if you saw the Wonder Woman movie, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so we did an episode of how the hell is Chris Pine in Wonder Woman 1984? And like we had just a bunch of theories. And I think that's, that's a fun idea because that's playing on pop culture. Yeah, it's, it's different too, which is good. So I, I'm definitely going to take a listen. You know, I'm not, I, I've definitely seen my share of superhero movies, but you've got me juiced right now. And I'm a pretty passionate guy. So when people get me up, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to run through all the movies at some point during the next week. So I'm excited. Maybe yeah, go to the bathroom in between. I recommend it. <laughs> but I, you did mention something and just bringing it back to you a little bit. We talk about the ever-changing, you know, digital world of sports journalism, of radio, of broadcasting. And in 1998, it was this booming industry, right? Sports talk. But mm -hmm. now it's completely shifted. And social media, you mentioned it can be cruel, but social media has influenced this change. So where do you think, you know, the world of journalism, sports talk is kind of heading? Is it heading towards this podcast world? Um, are there more things on the horizon where it's more on demand, quicker, more information, less? What kind of where is it going from your perspective, being someone that's been in the industry? for you know over 20 years well um i'm gonna try not to be the uh the buzzkill of the show um <laughs> but the uh the industry the industry is uh is crumbling yeah i mean it's it's crumbling before your very eyes i mean uh radio is being replaced by podcasting um i mean that's that's more of a positive so 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 let me get the bad stuff out of the way um newspapers are folding you know, you see it before your very eyes. Um, I was just at an event last night for a book launch, and I saw all these former New York Daily News writers, and they're, they're all unemployed. And I'm thinking to myself, like, 
I, I don't know what to say to any of them. Um, you know, because I, you know, it's not, there's, these are talented people and talent is not the number one thing that, that comes out. It's, it's more about clicks and clickbait and Kardashian and, 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 and that kind of crap. Um, podcasting though is a booming industry. I just, you know, what I am fascinated with is the business side. You know, there was a study done. I, I attended a conference, um, hosted by NPR in New York recently, and they were saying how if you go by 2017, AM FM radio was accounting for 53% of the listening audience, you know, people who listen to audio. And yet that number is plummeting. Uh, podcasting is actually 24%, but that number is rising. And it's, it's a reason to, you know, and, and if you want to throw the benefits of podcasting versus radio, I, I think they're innumerable. I mean, the number one being, uh, you can pause them. And I think the best thing that you can do when you're in your car, especially, you know, if you're listening to a big interview, you know, you're listening to, uh, Eli Manning on Sports with Friends, plug, plug, plug. Um, uh, and, and you're interested in what he's saying. And then all of a sudden, you know, your grandmother calls. Well, take the call because that podcast will be there when you, when you're finished. Um, when, you know, when I travel, I travel on trains, I travel on, on, on cars, I travel on airplanes, I, I walk, I, I do all these things and I can listen to the same podcast throughout that entire run. That's, that's difficult in the radio world. And, you know, what I love and I love sports radio. I listen to sports radio through, um, uh, I listen to sports radio through, uh, podcasts. You know, I download, I subscribe to sports radio stations podcasts. And the difference there is I hear their great content. I'll hear their great debates. I'll hear their great guests. I don't want to hear Johnny from the Bronx and I don't want to hear commercials. And the difference in, in a podcast is a commercial can be organic and a commercial can be, you know, heartfelt from the, from the host, not Geico. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's one of the things that I've been impressed by underdog because, you know, the podcast where they're the, the, the platform that they've been, you know, you play these random ads and I just think an audience, again, it, it's not the people who think black Panther's dead, <laughs> but it's the, the, the people who, who know better, they know how to fast forward through those commercials. If you can make an ad sound entertaining and there's a passion behind it, then they don't realize they're listening to an ad. And I think there's a great value in that. I think there's an amazing value in that. And that's like, that's where I'm hopeful that the podcast space will just continue to grow. And that's why I've always wanted to be a part of it. And in 2015, when I had the opportunity, I created these two podcasts just because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with them, but I wanted to be in the space. You, you actually mentioned the Eli Manning thing. You've had him on your show four times, I think, right? Four? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he, I think, I think four and times. there's shorter interviews with him. Is, is Eli the type of guy that like, I, I think he's funny. I think him and his brother, when they talk to the media, I, I think they're pros, obviously, like they know it. But, but how is interviewing a guy? I was thinking about this when you're talking about, the Broncos too. Like when you interview somebody like John Elway or Eli Manning, you know, I, I never thought I'd say those two guys in the same breath, but you know, multiple Super Bowl winners. H how did you kind of grow? Like, and how did you get comfortable around guys like that? Especially when you know, like you may only get one shot. If they don't like how the interview goes, you may never get another interview. Sure. Sure. 
Well, you know, those examples are, are, are different kind of examples. I have a great John Elway story. I'm excited to hear um, it because but, I, I would say that GM but, John Elway hasn't had a lot of great things, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I have a great John Elway story. It's a, it's a fantastic John Elway story. Uh, Eli is a, a guy I do a charity event with um, uh, for the last 12 years. And I got to know him on a very personal level because his best friend from high school's dad uh, got him involved in this charity. They find um, uh, gu- it's called Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and they find uh, guide dogs and train guide dogs for blind people. It's an amazing charity. I love it because it's not a research charity. Like they're not curing blindness. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. You know, with your dollars, we'll try to find the cure for cancer. Like those are very valuable charities, but they 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 bum you out. I think the the stories from Guiding Eyes are just fascinating stories. Like they do this blind golf tournament. Which, by the way, if any of your audience goes to YouTube and just click uh, search blind golf, it's the wildest thing you've ever seen. Like it's 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 cool as can be. But anyway, Eli Manning's best friend's father was a blind golfer. And that's how he got involved in the thing. And I got involved because of my family. And um, we do this event. And then when I started the podcast, I said, you know, not for nothing, but we could promote the charity and you could come on the podcast. So we'd always squeeze it in usually before our presentation. That's usually the way we, we would do it. Um, we've always talked about sitting down for a longer time. It's just that, you know, when you go to practice, there's so many demands of him. And it just seems like, you know, to get him for, for an extended period of time, it's, it's always been a goal, but it's never been something. There was a good joke that uh, when he was, when we were coming up on 100 episodes of Sports with Friends, uh, I recorded him and I said, you know, if you want, I can post something else for 99. And you could be the hundredth episode of of Sports with Friends, and he's like, "Well, I had a shitty year. Let's do 99. <laughs> um, you want the Elway story? Elway story yeah, is yeah, fantastic. I mean, I mean, we, we got it here. Yeah, now I need it. It's dated. It's dated. It just shows, you know. It, it, again, you know, I'm in my 40s, and it, it just sounds like I'm a hundred years old. That's when okay. You story, own it. But, um, so you're good. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Uh, so. So. Um, the Broncos were playing the Raiders on a Monday night game and Westwood one does the Monday night football broadcast. Yep. And back in the nineties, what they wanted was they would hire stringers and the guy who was the normal uh, reporter. He's also a news reporter. He's his dear friend of mine, Lee Frank. And he got assigned to cover the, um, the Oklahoma city bombing trial. Okay. Remember that? You remember that? Yeah. Also, just if you could date yourself really quickly for those listeners we have that don't uh, didn't go to journalism school, unlike myself and you, Seth, could you explain what a stringer is to our? Oh, our sorry, yeah, 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 twenty-one yeah. years old. A and stringer, below. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a stringer small. is um, you, get, you get hired on a freelance basis to basically cover a game, and that coverage could include uh, reporting, meaning on-air reporting, off-air reporting, um, and then. Uh, recording a bunch of interviews and then sending them to the station. So people will pay you, you know, a couple hundred bucks to to um, to go out to a Broncos facility and interview ten players. The difference now is what you would do is you would record it as an MP3 and email it. But uh, then you had to put it on cassette. And the trick would be not only did they not want it fed, they wanted it mailed. They wanted the cassette. Like you had to have two tapes. And halfway through the interviews, you had to switch the tape. That was the, the, the lesson that I had been learned. And it was an October day, and it was kind of a, you know, a fall day, and I had a windbreaker on. And my Westwood One cassette was in the pocket. 
And during practice, the Westwood One cassette falls out of my uh, windbreaker. And the only human being on the facility that saw that tape fall was John Elway. And I don't know any of this. So I'm getting ready to go to the podium where he's going to do his press conference. And the sun is behind him. So he looks like an angel from heaven. And he pulls out of his like jersey pocket. He pulls out a cassette tape. That's my tape. And he goes, here, kid, you dropped this. <laughs> Quarterback vision went, to see that happen, too. I went, oh, my God. I remember calling my friends. I was like, because I grew up in New Jersey. I was like, I don't care what happens for the rest of my life. I'm a John Elway Denver Broncos fan. Like, he saved my life. Like, he, I would, you know, that was my first assignment of that kind of level. There's no way they'd ever call back. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, like this was a once one-time opportunity. And... <laughs> But and John Elway saved my my bacon. I mean, he he totally saved me. And that's the year that they won the Super Bowl. And I I'm a big believer in karma, and I believe good things happen to good people. I mean, that's the, the my name is Earl taught me that. And and um and and so so I have a big uh, uh a big soft spot for John Elway. Have you told John Elway that story? Like, have you been able to interact with him? You know, we you know it was funny. I thought about it. Um. There was a time when uh, the Bronco, it was very random. You know, I live in New Jersey and uh, the Super Bowl was played in New Jersey. And that December, I reached out to my old stations. I reached out to, uh, you know, 104.3 The Fan in Denver and KJR in Seattle. And I said, you know, you guys are in the playoffs. And, you know, if for some reason you get into it, hire me for the week because you won't have to put me up. You know, you know I don't need a hotel. I'll, I'll live at home and and I'll cover your team. And both uh, stations said yes. And then if you remember that Super Bowl, uh, it's Denver versus Seattle. I got hired wasn't, by both teams. Wasn't a great uh, Super Bowl for John Elway. <laughs> no, but there's a, there's a pretty funny story because my credentials, my, my, pass, my, my practice credentials were from Seattle, but my game credential was from, from Denver. And so I was sitting in the press box on the Denver side, and they're getting blitzed. I mean, they were getting killed, but I covered the Seahawks. No, that's good <laughs> so, for you. You know, so so uh, I always joke that that Super Bowl, the, the the biggest award from that Super Bowl is I won an Academy Award for Best Actor because I I I started texting every human being I knew on the Seattle side and was like, "Is there an empty seat? I can't watch this from here. Like this is this is stupid." And uh, one guy said, "Yeah, yeah, there's an empty seat near me." Uh, so I, I stand up and I go, I can't watch this. I need to take a walk. And why I took my bag and everything that I had with me, I don't know. But I walk back and I look, make sure both ways nobody's watching me. And I shimmy over to the other side of the press box and I go to the Seattle side and I sit and look, make sure nobody from Denver saw me. And I'm like, all right, go see. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, you know, I had left my car by the Denver hotel. Cause Jim Sacamano, the, uh, the outstanding PR director of the, the Broncos remembered me from my days back then. And, um, he, he let me park my car at the hotel and take the bus. So you didn't have that parking disaster that they were going to have for the Super Bowl. And I remember I was in the Seahawks locker room and a guy says to me, he says, Hey, if you're going to catch the bus, it's leaving soon. So I leave the Seahawks, uh, celebration and go and immediately like switch my face. Like I brush my hair. I like change my whole look because I had just been partying with the Seahawks and I walk and I'm shaking my head like side to side. I'm going, rough one, rough night, rough. One. <laughs> 
So I get to my car and my wife says, so how was it? I said, I swear to God, I am the phoniest human being ever was. We need to take a quick break to talk about Bet Online. Football season is officially here. That means there is no more waiting. The time's arrived. If you're like Smalls and I, you're so ready to get in all the action for the college and NFL football seasons. Guys, I'm serious. Don't wait any longer to make your online wagers. Head over to betonline.ag to take advantage of the best sign-up bonuses in the business. Use the promo code PODCAST1 and you'll receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. That's PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and the number one to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Guys, that's free money. We all know young people in sports cannot turn down free money. If you're like me, you're going to take this free cash and you're going to throw it on a guaranteed winner. And that's any team playing the Buffalo Bills all NFL season long. Visit betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, and our exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. There are some huge matchups to start the opening weekend, like Falcons-Eagles on Thursday night. I know Smalls is all over the birds, so you guys should get in on the action today as well. Sign up today at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1. One more time, PODCAST1, to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Then you can take that bonus money, you can throw it on some winners, and then you can let Smalls and I know what you thought the best bet of the weekend was. Take advantage of this incredible offer now at betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to Seth Everett. I'm laughing over here, but I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to pull it together, a little professional, uh, big journalism here. I'm going to pull it together, focus. Uh, We have our team sync. Uh, question of the podcast. So this is presented by our partners at Team Synced. Team Synced coaches out there. I know you guys are listening. Uh, division one, division two, II, division three, and even high school. This is where technology creates streamlined accountability between your coaches, so your staff and your players. Any team. We're not just talking basketball, football, volleyball, uh, any kind of sport you want at the college level, especially and me and Tyler have been there. We've been through the process of trying to organize schedules, organize workouts. Hey, we have to have an hour meeting where all the coaches have to sit down and try to figure out, okay, do we have this guy at 245? What about this guy? Oh no, he's got a 245 class. We've got to figure out four man workouts. We've also got to, uh, understand a practice schedule and be able to just schedule our players all at once. Team Sync takes care of that. They allow you to organize your schedules, your players, all at once, making it easy, saving you time. And coaches, all you do is complain about time. You complain about, oh, I don't have enough time of, to watch. A lot of film. complaining from coaches. There's just so it's so much. That's just it's yeah, just, I don't have enough time because coaching so basketball and coaching football and coaching you know every sport is the the most important thing in the entire world. So you have no time for anything else. So TeamSync.com backslash cys right smalls. Yeah, Tyler, I'm just saying, like, ten, like you know, if I want to watch film for 14 hours a day, I mean, this is going to save me a lot of time. <laughs> you need, you need so. a scheduling app to make sure that you have 14 free hours. <laughs> but, Seth, off our Team Sync rant, uh, best decision you ever made in your career. Uh, best decision for me was getting Team Sync. But <laughs> best decision nice. you ever made in your career. Nice. That's a way to tie that in. That's yeah. very, very smart. Best decision. Um yeah, I guess like was there a uh, moment where you can kind of pinpoint like I, I I did the right thing or like this has gotten me to the point where I am now? Other other than the Mariners winning, just you willing them to win. Well, yeah, that was that was kind of being in the right place at the right time. Um, 
uh, you know, two two decisions I, that come to mind. I mean, one was the decision to go to Denver um, to take a job that wasn't what I wanted to do. It was to you know be a morning show producer, and um, that, that wasn't what I wanted to do. But you know, it got me a foot in the door and and, and allowed me to get an opportunity. Um, but probably joining Spreecast. I mean, uh, it, it's because you know a lot of people had said you know what's that, and you know I kind of did it on 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 spec there was a, a person I, I had worked with this consultant that i worked with that she um she she kind of sold it for me and i figured i would give it a try and then who knew six months into it um through a freak of nature i would get to work with prince um who was my favorite singer at the time and, and still is and and um you know that was kind of a fortuitous thing that if i had not attempted to um you know just throw my hat into the ring of something that I wasn't a hundred percent sure about. It was the first time I had done something that I had never heard of before, you know, something like that, like just, just kind of, you know, taking a risk. Um, but yeah, or the, the, the Prince thing was, was definitely something that I would say is, is, uh, it was a smart. So let's, let's talk about Prince for a second. This has nothing to do with anything we've written down, but as you know, RIP to a, to a legend, but as, the years have gone by, I guess, since Prince has passed. We've, we've started to hear more and more stories. And I know, not to plug other podcasts, but when Carlos Boozer was on Pardon My Take, he talked about renting Prince's or Prince renting his house. Yeah. And like, Isn't that a great I mean, story? it was unbelievable. And then the part of the story that was that's the a, best was that Prince was like, I'm going to escrow you like 500 grand, no problem. Just, just so you know that like, I'm going to make sure your house goes back to normal. Yeah, which yeah, yep. I, I can't imagine having that much money, and and apparently Carlos Boozer, who was making like seventy million dollars, that was his contract. He also couldn't imagine having that type of money just ready to go. So you work with Prince for a year. What's the best Prince story you have, or or what do you want people to know about working with a guy like Prince, who I mean is one of the most famous people, uh, you know, in in the entertainment industry. Iconic, yeah, iconic. That's good. That's good. It was funny. I never got uh, Prince on Sports with Friends, so Richard Branson is the most famous person I've been ha- I've had on him. Um, but uh, Prince was um, it was you know it was a very important thing for me growing up. I mean, I'm a child of really of the '90s, you know, or a young adult of the '90s, and um, you know, I was I was uh, was fascinated with with his music, and his music is really about two things. It's about sex and self-worth and i think those are two very very important things uh for any person's confidence and i think that um being a prince fan helped me you know become somebody who can uh stand in front of crowds and give speeches and 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 do broadcasting and 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 things like that um the story of working with him was um it's 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 a wacky story um over a beer uh, i was with the spreecast guys and they were telling me to do Spreecast, they wanted Spreecast to be more of a community, not just a, a job. And so all the things that I had done on Spreecast were sports related. And I was kind of their sports director and I was directing their sports content. And, you know, so one time they said, you know, do a show about something you like. And so that one night I did a show about Superman. I did a show about uh, this, the movie Superman Returns. Because people either hate that movie or they love that movie. So it's, you know, to me, that's the perfect debate, you know, something that no one's on the fence about. And, and, you know, it was fine. They said, uh, do, do more like that. You know, what's, what, what kind of music do you listen to? And I was like, I was a huge Prince fan. And they said, oh, do a spreecast about that. So I did a show about Prince and they really love that. 
it, like they, they, for some reason, like one of the engineers at Spreecast had worked on one of Prince's websites and like there was just a connection and, and they were like, Oh, the, 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 the bosses at Spreecast love that. Do more like that. And I was like, I don't know what else to say. Like I told my 20 minutes of stories. Like I, I snuck into purple rain to see a naked girl. Like, like what, what do you want from me? You know? And, um, so I found this blogger on Twitter. Uh, I just was searching, you know, the internet and I found this blogger on Twitter that was either a super fan or he knew him. And, and this was like I, 2009 Twitter, this is 2012. Oh, okay. Okay. So 2012. 2012. Okay. So yeah, I'd been on Twitter for a couple of years and, and, um, you know, I was just searching around and, and I found this guy and I got this guy long, you know, long story short, uh, I got this guy to do a, a spree cast with me. And fast forward to New Year's 2012 into 2013. And this is all unbeknownst to me, but Prince reached out to the blogger. And this was rather common at the time, but I, I didn't know this. And um, he basically said, you know, sent a message and a photo and it said, you know, that I have big plans for 2013. Uh, I'm starting a new band and I'm doing all these things. And by the way, your website blows. <laughs> And he was like, it's 2013, do a podcast, do a YouTube, like do something. And the only thing this, this guy knew how to do was the spreecast. So on New Year's Day, that's why I know the significance. It was New Year's Day. I get a phone call from the blogger and he says, can we do another one? And I said, sure. And so we scheduled it. We, you know, we figured out like eight days later, we could do it. That was the first night that we could do it. And we, we set it up. And that day, Prince joined Twitter and he did it under a, a, like a mysterious handle at the time. And people weren't sure what it was and who it was, but it was somebody and they were have, they were posting all this content that only he would have. And it was really random stuff. And anyway, the blogger had a Prince following and was tweeting out this, these links. And he was also tweeting out the links to the spreecast. And so when we did the show, in two days, 55,000 people watched the wow. recap. Holy shit. And Prince freaked the hell out. Like he went, holy moly. And he realized that there's a digital audience out there and there's a community. And so he pr uh, propositioned the blogger. Um, and I couldn't believe this. I, I, I still, for like two months, I didn't believe it. And then, you know, I had to be proven that this was actually happening, but he agreed to provide us uh with guests he booked us uh he gave us music to play on the show and there was some original content that he wrote and recorded just for our show um and then he and then he gave us show notes like you think your prep sheet was detailed like we used to get a prep sheet and we would talk about these random topics that he wanted you know his community to to debate about and um it was a it was a crazy experience if you go to billboard dot com um and type in my name there's an article on prince that in it makes a reporter wait to before he'll talk to the reporter until the reporter sees our show and it was insane and she writes that in the billboard article it was it was as bonkers as bonkers gets but yeah it was it was definitely a, a career highlight I, I mean, that's that's un unbelievable. It's also hilarious that like Prince is out here 
sort of listening and, and trying to further his career when he's so famous already. And he's like, we need to get into the digital space. It's always interesting to hear about guys that are that uh, unique of thinkers, I guess. But uh, before we go into segments, I just have, I have one more question for you. We talked about this a little bit before, uh, but for people that do still want to be journalists, like, I, I mean, I went to college and, you know, not to date myself, but 2007 and I, Really wanted to be, yeah, I know. I really wanted to be a a, a newspaper. I wanted to write sports. Like I wanted to be a beat writer or whatever. And, you know, my first journalism and society class, I guess, journalism 101 or whatever, you know, heard that the industry was dying. was like, all right, I'm going to be a basketball coach. So probably, you know, not a great (laughs) trade-off. But what would you tell people who are trying to get into the journalism space now, whether it be the web space, TV, radio? I mean, what kind of advice do you have after all the things that you've seen? So, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you get to go to Newhouse every now and again and talk up there, but if you do, what are you telling students and people entering the space? Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Um, it, I actually do go up there a bunch. I was up there in 2015. I'm actually going to go up this fall. I'm going to be doing um, Syracuse football and basketball post-game shows on the radio. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the flagship station reached out to me. Uh, they know I watch the games anyway, and I yell at my iPad anyway. So they're like, would you do an hour post-game show? I was like, sure. Um, so I'm going to be up there a bunch. Uh, and I do speak to students all the time. Uh, I've taught, I taught at St. John's, I taught at, uh, Seton Hall, and I talk to students uh, all the time. Um, I make no secret about the fact that uh, the industry is is trying right now. Um, newspapers in, in their traditional run are crumbling before your very eyes because people aren't buying them. And advertisers aren't advertising with them because people aren't buying them. Um, that's kind of the nature of, of what this becomes. Um, my attitude has always been is that there's always going to be... Um, the communications industry. It's just trying to find its way. Um, so what I would say to young kids is have a backup plan. Um, ha- you know, have a backup plan. My, my backup plan, I always thought was um, when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old is if I wasn't where I wanted to be by at first it was 25 and then it became 20 and then it became 30. I was going to go to law school. Like that was my, my backup plan. and. You know, I, I, I got really lucky at early on in my career and I had a couple of cool breaks and I got established as this broadcaster. But, um, you know, now I think the big thing that has to happen is you have to recognize that, you know, there, if, if you're a young kid, start a blog, start a podcast, do something, try something so that when their opportunity arises, um, that's not your first time behind the microphone. Yeah, because entry um, into the space is about as easy as it's ever been. Now, of course, getting paid and of staying course. power and everything like that—that's a little more difficult. But it's it's easier than it ever has been to enter the journalism space. But I do think that the cream rises to the top. Um, you know, I think I think in both radio, television, and uh, newspaper, they're all finding ways to cut costs. So there are actually more opportunities for young people. Uh, than there are for people like me, um, because you know uh, I come with certain salary, you know, expectations, and 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 you know people who are you know single and just starting out, they'll they'll work for less money, and 
oodles and noodles for dinner is a fantastic. And here's the thing. If you can't Um, get a job, you can just work for the athletic with everyone else in the sports world. So it's, you know, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody about the athletic and you know, they, they, they were doling out three year contracts. Yeah, not anymore. Um, really quickly. Yeah. But supposedly now it's only one year yeah, contracts. And and the interesting part about the athletic is is that, you know, it's some of the best content uh out there. I mean, Richard Deitch and and Jason Stark and 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 some of these great, great writers. Um, but I don't know you know, for me, I'm a P one for that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I read that stuff immediately. Like the athletic is a great place. Um, I don't know if they're going to to make it. I did a Forbes piece. This you know, you guys will like this. Uh, I did a Forbes piece on the Mike Francesa app. Yeah, eight ninety nine yeah. a month. I, I actually, I actually, I believe I read your piece on that. Saw the yeah, piece. the eight ninety nine, and like if it's gonna, if it's gonna exist, or if it's not, if fans are gonna buy it and things like that. Right. So, so the idea is, if you do the math, uh, he'll he'll gross a million dollars if ten thousand people sign up. Wow. And, and, and I just, I don't know who these 10 million people are, but I was trying to compare the prices. So eight ninety nine for Francesa, it's $13 for Sirius XM, which is Mad Dog plus Howard Stern plus play-by-play of every league plus all the music. Um, that's $13. Um, Netflix is cheaper. Hulu is cheaper. And then my favorite was uh, Francesa has an annual subscription of $98. Pornhub pre Pornhub Premium <laughs> is ninety five dollars, so it's three dollars cheaper. <laughs> Francesco porn than Mike Francesco. Honestly, though, this is this is this is the truth. Like, I love guys like Mike Francesca because, like, you just this like I think you got to be confident, and like we've talked to different coaches and stuff, and confidence is always you know some people have it, some people don't, some people gain it. But like the idea that you'll put yourself out there that your app is worth a hundred dollars when like I mean I don't I don't know did did you look Seth at, at what an annual cost of ESPN is on cable because I think like your if you look at your cable bill ESPN's like eight or or nine dollars a month for the whole like family of networks like is that is is Mike Francesa really thinks he's worth that I love that you know what I mean if people pay it they're the idiots not him right I mean he doesn't need money either I don't think so. I mean, that's the part like I just when I saw that, I was like, this is insanity. But I, I respect the guy thinking he's worth that much for just, you know, OK, he, was content, an iconic, right? he is an iconic broadcaster and I don't question his radio success. Uh, how that translates to digital, I think, is is, you know, entertaining and could be comical. But, um, you know, I wish him the best. And, you know, look. I, I hope it works. I, hope I mean, it, half of it was listening, you know, obviously like Mike and the Mad Dog is, is one thing, but then, you know, when that kind of fell apart, like half of it was listening to him kind of like berate people who called in and, and, and Smalls and I are, are, you were talking about this earlier, but Smalls and I are big talk radio guys too. You know, he's a big 97.5 guy in Philly. Like I grew up listening to yep. sports junkies I've in been DC. On there. Yep. yep. And then like, we listen to Mikey Miss a lot, you know, in drive time yep. and and Mike Missanelli was never like my favorite guy, but I, I mean, I don't love call-ins either, but if the host is good at taking call-ins, it's, it's really lit, you know, it's a really, it's reasonable to listen. And I wonder like if, if Mike Francesa doesn't have that built-in like drive time, they're definitely calling him every, you know, he's getting idiots and, and, you know, oh Johnny man, like, yeah, yeah. CC Sabathia can't pitch four innings, whatever. If he doesn't get that guy. You know, or trade Jacob Degrom. He's he's overrated. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's worth the money. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I you know, I can't, I can't, 
I can't surmise. Um, Mike Mistinelli, I think, was on a television program that I was on. That's one of my favorite uh, moments where I screwed with a with a with a talk show host. Um, there used to be a, a a network called CN8. You remember that? Yep, yep. I, I I know what show you're talking about. Mikey missed with the mullet. He used the mullet to do. It was on. called uh, Out of Bounds or Around the Horn or so, something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking well, about. There used to do a night show, and they would tape it. And we were in the studio, and I was in New York, and and I thought it was Mike Missinelli. It might not have been. I don't don't quote me on this. But um, the guy who was the host, he was in Boston. It was this guy named John Burton, and he would read off a teleprompter, and he never listened to anything the hosts would say, the 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 the, 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 the yeah. participants would say. No back and forth. Yeah. And. I was just I I had to get him on it. You know what I mean? Like I had I just and I told the producer ahead of time because I knew this was being taped that I knew I would never do this live. But uh I wanted to mess with the guy just to get him to listen. And one of the questions was he says um this was a bunch of years ago, but he says uh what do you think the secret to uh Jason Giambi's resurgence has been? And I said, well, I, I mean I really think that there was a huge burden lifted off of him after he admitted that he was homosexual. <laughs> and his, and and acknowledging his affair with Robinson Cano really made a difference for him. And he was like, "Thanks." Turning to hockey, and I was just, <laughs> <laughs> that's common. And that's I, just, I, I just, I just, I could have sworn either Missinelli or Rhea Hughes was on that broadcast. And I just, like, I told them that I was going to mess with them, and I just, I had to do it. I just was like, uh, you, you know. I couldn't stand it's one of my biggest knocks like I used to make fun of Katie Couric on the radio because Katie Couric would always like come out of these really emotional pieces like you know the the family's begging for the kidnappers to return their daughter and she's like here's Al with the weather <laughs> those are those are pro those are did pros you watch? did just, you watch you know just like, totally totally disconnected to uh to, to their just, their just, you know yeah just well. listen just listen to the things did you just say Actually, we'll we'll get into actually we're going to get into segments. We'll do coach speak. We're going to do it a little different because you're a guy that's you know probably interviewed a good bit of coaches, a, a a good amount of coaches. Ooh, bad radio there. I want to know what are some tricks. One of the hardest things that Smalls and I have encountered while doing this is getting guys to open up and not give you coach cliches. I, I want to know in terms of just interviewing athletes, interviewing coaches, interviewing you know front office people. Media members are usually good; that they're willing to talk, but. What are some of your tricks to kind of getting guys to open up and give you, you know, good material rather than your Nick Sabins, who's either yelling at you or giving you three word answers? Right. And don't even get me started on Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> the uh, the um, the trick with podcasting, uh, and that's something that I've been doing a lot more because whenever I do a Forbes piece, I try to see if there's a podcast around. So if I'm talking to, uh, you know, uh, Greg Norman, for a Forbes article, I try to record it as a podcast so that it could be both. And then you could put the link to the Forbes article. So what I, what I try to do is I tell people, this is kind of my standard podcasting uh, venue. And you kind of did this be- to me before and just say that uh, I am going to push. I, I, that, that's, that's who I am. I am going to push, but I'm on your side. And if there's anything that comes out that you don't like what you say or you don't like what I say, don't be shy. Tell me, and I will take it out. 
I am not in this to to uh, break news. I am not a clickbait person. Uh, I, I'll take it for what it is. And athletes really, really do uh, respond to that. And what I have found is then you have the precursor so that when the guy talks about you know being suspended, I can say, what was that like? What did that feel like? Like, how, how did you tell your family? Or, you know, what was it like getting traded? Who was the first person you called? And like something like that, because if they don't like that, they've already been cleared to take it out. And they're, you know, in, in my 300 times of doing that, that, that strategy, I don't think I've ever had an athlete say, Oh, could you take that out? We've, we've had it happen twice, but yeah, it, it's it, when you tell people that. And actually, the one time we took it out was because Smalls, was listening back to it after we had edited and was like, yeah, we, you shouldn't have this in here and actually told our guest, like, this is going to look bad. So one of the times was us being like, you probably shouldn't say that. But I, I, I agree with you though. Uh, guys are, are more willing to talk if they know that like you're on their side. I agree with that. The, the, the idea that, um, I, you know, the hall of justice only exists because of one episode and, you know, the hall of justice, um, was a show that I was trying to figure out what to do with. And I was trying to get these guests on and through a freak, uh, fluke, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time, I got uh, Zach Snyder on the hall of justice. And the story goes that, uh, Batman V Superman had not come out yet, but man of steel had. And I am a big critic of, <laughs> of man of steel. I think that's a crap movie. It was not very and- good. Eh, Superman's an asshole. I mean, that's that's <laughs> he, he is that, <laughs> and, and and that's that that that's a rough part of it. So anyway, um, but I'm not going to disrespect his work. So I asked the question, and this is not to toot my own horn. I, you know, if you noticed anything about me, I have no ego, and I'm never I'm never that guy. But um, I did ask the right question at the right time, which was, I said, "Man, you know, people never go into your movies and say." man, that was great popcorn. They either love your movies or they can't stand your movies. What do you attribute that to? And Zack Snyder, for whatever reason, took that opportunity to rip Superman fans. And he said that Superman fans don't know the right expectations for him. And they think that the only Superman in their world is Christopher Reeve. And that's not true. And he like, he ripped Superman fans. And I didn't, you know, one of the things that, you know, the reason why I, I've, I've come into contact with Underdog is I'm not a marketer. You know what I mean? I, I, I have a social media following, but that's it. Like, I do these podcasts. I put them out. Once they're out, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, them. they're out. Exactly. And yeah. the, that episode got picked up by Hollywood Reporter and Variety. And then it got on every superhero blog you've ever seen. Yeah, I actually, to be honest with you, I was I was thinking about that when we were talking about this. Like, I do remember, I'm not a huge superhero guy, but I actually remember this Superman kind of like issue with Zack Snyder. Like, I, I remember him saying that. And I, I have a funny story when you're done with this, but. Yeah, so so anyway, long story short, um, uh, Zack Snyder. And the funny thing was, is I was always going to try to have Zack Snyder on again, but he had a, a personal tragedy uh, recently. And I don't want to touch that. You know what I mean? I want to give the guy his privacy. And I have too much respect for him as a person. But I always wanted to get him on to kind of right the wrong and, and just, you know, try to try to do it again. But that's when the Hall of Justice got, I mean, no joke, uh, 450,000 downloads. Like it was it was absurd. 
And what was happening was my earlier episodes were seeing a bump. And that's when I started trying to come up with something for the podcast because, you know, the, the, the idea is once you have that kind of audience, you have to do something as a follow up. And I couldn't get, you know, Zack Snyder on again. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to start getting every director under the sun on like that. That's a lot of work. So I, you know, I, but, but that's, that's, that's what my favorite, that's the only, literally the only reason why, uh, the Hall of Justice is probably still on the air. I think it's funny too. You, you get him on for after Man of Steel, and he had just had Sucker Punch right before that, where you know he had directed and written it he, after he had this like. I think he what he wrote three hundred. He directed three hundred. Watchmen. He, he directed. did Watchmen. I loved. Yeah, Watchmen. like he was. Yeah. Watchmen. Was he was great. on like a heater and Watchmen. then does Sucker Punch, which the. I listen to uh, How Did This Get Made a lot, which is a, a very funny podcast. Oh, it's a great podcast. Making, making their, their uh, review of Superman 4 is the funniest uh, thing I've ever heard. Yeah, like, and, and it was funny. They were talking about how, like, Zack Snyder, they were like, I can't believe he wrote this movie. Like, it's it's almost like softcore porn. Like, he had to be worried about it getting, like, an R rating or whatever. But um, last one on Coach Speak before we go to City Review. Uh, who has uh, Who's been the hardest athlete or coach for you to interview in your career, do you think? Who who was the toughest one for you behind the mic? Um, well, I mean, toughest. I mean, they were always managers that I was always uh, uh, intimidated by. Jim Leland, uh, Tony Larusa, um, Lou Pinella. I can't imagine was the easiest guy. Well, Lou Pinella, no, but Lou Pinella became one of my favorites. Lou Pinella. Well, a lot of people believe that I'm a good manager. Um, my favorite Lou Pinella line. Well, there's a couple of great Lou Pinella lines, but. Um, they had just released, there was this outfielder named Brian Hunter. There were two Brian Hunters, one that had power and one, one that was, was really fast. Yeah. Yeah. So they released the, the, the fast Brian Hunter. And we were at, in front of the dugout in Peoria, Arizona. And uh, uh, Lou, can you, can you, can you comment on the, this team's decision to release Brian Hunter? And he said, well, you can't teach speed. He's got speed. And all of a sudden, this woman who had left something in her seat behind the dugout, wearing nothing but shorts and a bikini top just comes down and grabs whatever she had left. And Lou is staring out the stands, and we're facing the field because we're interviewing. And he says, well, you can't teach speed. Sir, I have no idea what you just asked me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine he was a good soundbite. Never, never wanted oh, to be God. concerned about uh, what people thought. One time he took Jeff Facero out after six innings, and the bullpen blew it. And he says, uh, he says, well, me and Stan Williams got in a mean game of rock, paper, scissors. And his paper covered my rock. Next I just remember, I remember, and I was, a, I was a big, big baseball fan back before. Now I live in the South, and we only have AAA baseball in Nashville. But I remember watching videos of him on, like, you know, MLB Today on, like, Fox or whatever. And him, like, kicking his hat around and, like, kicking dirt over. And then, like, panning to the Mariners bench and, like... Jay Buhner and Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Cora are like chuckling in the dugout as he's just losing. He's covering the plate with dirt. Like we don't we don't get enough of that anymore in baseball, in my opinion, Seth. There's not enough guys that are like real, real characters as managers. I don't think. But he was. Well, it's part of. I mean, look, it's a it's a different episode, and you know, I, I don't want to go off on tangents, but uh, download sports with him. <laughs> um, there's a Jason Stark, and I do this whole uh, talk about. I think baseball's in a crisis. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I fear for baseball's future. I, I think baseball has a much bigger problem than they are letting on. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and part of the, the sabermetric, you know, mentality to changing baseball is you hire these young uh, former players who are great communicators. 
Um, and really all they are are conduits from the sabermetrics in the front office. And so you're seeing, you know, Alex Cora in Boston and Gabe Kapler in Philly and Mickey Calloway with the Mets and Aaron Boone with the Yankees and Craig Council in Milwaukee and Tori Lovello in Arizona, Dave Roberts in, in uh, L.A. And you're seeing, you know, the Buck Showalters, the Mike Sochas, the Bruce Bochies are kind of a yeah, dying breed. And, and so it's, it's not the same thing. And I think today's manager, the, the modern, these young, I call them the young, young, young bucks, um, uh, they, they know the value of the media because they've been interviewed so many times with all this digital media because they were playing during that time. So yeah. it's, it's a different, it's a different relationship. I mean, yeah, Buck Showalter is a guy who I consider a friend, but, um, you know, I remember when, when I was with the Rockies, um, I remember I got hired by a St. Louis station. Uh, to go cover the St. Louis locker room. And I had, I was the only guy in there. There was one other reporter. And, um, you know, in LaRusse's office, the other reporter was off doing something. And I was the only guy there. And I'm 23. I was scared to death of Tony LaRusse. I, I mean, turns out, he, you know, he's a big uh, uh, puppy dog. But, um, yeah, I didn't know that at the time. And, you know, he was smart. You know, he was a smart guy. And, you know, I grew up playing Tony Larusa baseball. You know, so like it was, it was, it was, it was wild. I that was the year um, I saw McGuire, Mark McGuire, with his shirt off, and I swear he looked like Bill Bixby turning into Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> I should correct myself really quick. I, I think I actually said Alex Cora. I meant Joey Cora, second baseman for Mariners. Too too many names. I was, yeah, yeah, I was too caught up guy, trying to think guy, of the guy who's been rumored to be a, a manager. Yeah. Also, you know, the White Sox. Were I was too caught up trying to remember if Brian Hunter with the speed was Brian L. Hunter, and I did check that on Baseball Reference, and it is Brian L. Hunter. I just was, but but Smalls, we'll let you do your thing on. That's great. We'll let you do your thing on City Review before because we could talk a lot yeah. about sabermetrics. I could, we could do that on a whole other I mean, show. We could have a whole episode on some things baseball really needs to take a look at, but we won't. We won't. We won't. Well, actually, about a buzzkill. Why don't you ask about newspapers again? <laughs> we'll actually do city review. So hopefully, this isn't a buzzkill. But what we're doing, me and Tyler, are coming to going with you to Seattle for a whole weekend. So we're doing three restaurants, two bars, and an activity in the city. You're on, Seth. Wow, three restaurants. Um, I would have to do um, in Seattle. You have to go to uh, this place called uh, Pioneer Square, which is um, ten bars, one cover. Well, I love and, where this uh, is going. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's a great uh, local music scene there. Uh, and two of the musicians uh, that played with Prince uh, are living out there now. So when I was out there recently, uh, we went to Pioneer Square. Um, I couldn't tell you the names of the places, but I just know Pioneer Square. Um, as far as restaurants, there's, um, Cutters is one of the nicest, uh, restaurants, uh, out there. Uh, El Gaucho is another, uh, amazing restaurant. And then I, there's, um, uh, hold on, I, hold on a second. I have a picture of this place because we were just there. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Give me one sec, one sec. It's all good. No problem. Picture pictures on radio. No, no, no. Good radio. I, I, no, I, it's the name. You're gonna have to Texas this one. You're gonna have to Texas this one so we can throw it up no, on no, the no. gram. Three, three, two, one. Uh, and then there's this restaurant called Uptown China in Queen Anne in uh, Seattle. And when you go there, uh, ask for you may and ask for the KJR special, which is chicken and broccoli with no broccoli. <laughs> 
<laughs> there we go. That's see, I just want to throw this out here. Like Smalls and I've been doing this podcast, it'll be a year next week. But like that's the stuff that we aren't professionals at. Like, you know, we're looking for a picture and then three, two, one, bang, the edit break is right in there. And then I, as a terrible host, just ruined the opportunity to edit it out because I put light on it. But I just you know, that's the stuff we strive to be like that stuff. Yeah, hook you up. Yeah, you're usually usually like especially on Hall of Justice, like if I don't know an actor's name, when I'll say, you know, that guy and I'll say who who's that guy you know, we'll we'll pause, we'll find out the name and you know, you know, three, two, one, just as far as activity, go to Pike Place Market where they throw the fish. Yeah. Uh, I catch a fish. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's it's a it's a beautiful place and uh there's a myth that um that uh that there's a, the myth is that it rains all the time because in the summer it's never humid and it's it is gorgeous all the time and in the winter it never snows and it's just it's gray but and it mists but it you know, like it's not rain and uh to me i lived on a lake uh lake union and uh, it turns out um there was a guy from the mariners that lived above me and it was funny when he found out that i was the guy living underneath him he uh he immediately was like, Oh cool, we can go running. Excuse me? It's <laughs> like I run when chased. Like what you when, when Zack Snyder gets mad about uh your man of steel review, then then you can run. Uh ten touches, thirty second rapid fire question and answer. I get the first five. Uh who's the funniest person you've ever worked with? Oh, by a million. Uh the late Daryl Hamilton. Daryl uh, was my I'm surprised we didn't talk about him during this this show. Um, Daryl was my partner at MLB Radio for a bunch of years and uh, turned out to be my best friend in the world. Um, I could easily tell you a Daryl Hamil Hamilton story that'll be your, your guest, your listener's favorite part of the podcast. He is easily the funniest human being I've ever known. Um, tragically, he was killed in 2015. And um, but uh, Daryl was the easily funniest person I ever worked. With. Uh, what's the? I'm sure you've traveled a ton. Obviously, what's the worst travel story you've had when you've been on the job? Uh, the the best one is uh, they lost my luggage from Anaheim to Chicago in the 2000 uh, playoffs, and I was in the champagne celebration. So I had I was doused in champagne. And uh. The only thing I had done was. Um, I had changed my shirt before I checked my bag, uh, and all I had was a Superman T-shirt. And the next day, there was a workout. So it was my first time ever in the playoffs, and I was going to my first ever workout day, and all I have are you know, uh, disgusting jeans and a, and a Superman T-shirt. And uh, I took a, a jacket. I bought a jacket in the gift shop, and I zipped it up all the way so people couldn't see the Superman T-shirt. And Arthur Rhodes, I remember I was coming down the uh, the 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 escal you know the escalator to go down to the lobby to go on the bus to go over to the ballpark and like i'm so self-conscious and the first thing arthur Rhodes sends is what the hell are you wearing <laughs> the superman shirt's so on brand for you though i guess not maybe not at that time but yeah but not not in not in yeah. 2000 i mean nobody you know i was i was a superhero nut you know but but that was never cool to you know you never you never talked about that the one thing i did that was superhero uh realm was when i was on the air at kjr uh, I would give prizes away if you could prove, and you had to fax your ID. That's, again, show how dated it was. But you had to fax your ID to prove that you were either Seth from Everett, because remember, there's Everett, Washington, or Clark from Kent. <laughs> Kent, Washington. There you go. Uh, what are you currently reading, and what TV show are you currently binging? 
Uh, what TV show am I currently binging? Um, who? Uh, I would have to think about that. Um, we're just binging. Uh, I, ju- I just finished a show, the uh, the Looming Tower. Okay. On uh, on Hulu, that's um, that's John Daniel uh, Jeff Daniels is in it. It's the uh, story of the FBI and the CIA and the days leading up to nine eleven. Um, very much like a homeland. You know, it, it just kind of feels uh, like like a homeland. Uh, I just I just finished that. Um, I've been watching. Um, I just finished Luke Cage, which we did a review on Hall of Justice. <laughs> um, and I found out that the uh, the the showrunner of Luke Cage. I have to get him on the show. Uh, the showrunner of Luke Cage is a music journalist for twenty years from Seattle, and he's a huge Prince fan. There you go. Now he's it's, he's easily gonna come on now. I mean, forget the Hall of Justice. I just want him to be my friend. <laughs> what uh, what's the greatest game you've ever covered? Uh, it's a tie. Um, in person, the two greatest games I ever covered were uh, Super Bowl thirty two when the Broncos beat the Packers. Um, I was on the field for that, and then I was at um, I was at games four and five of the two thousand one World Series of the Yankees versus Arizona. So that's when uh, George Bush threw out the first pitch and the drama, and that's uh, Mister November, and uh, you know when the, those two games when uh, when Bob Brenly single handedly ruined Young Young Kim's life. <laughs> it was over um, at that point. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the greatest games I've ever. That was the loudest I'd ever ever seen a baseball stadium. Like I've covered a lot of great games. You know, the World Series after the year, um, you know, the Angels Giants was a really good one. Um, but I just I think that because of nine eleven, uh, I think Yankees uh, Diamondbacks was probably the best live events I'd ever. I, I don't know uh, if you remember. You probably do remember who hit the home run. But the you you always hear about like iconic photos, and the one obviously it was like Jeter. Flipping the ball to get Jeremy Giambi against the A's is like one of the more sure. iconic yeah. baseball photos. But I remember in 2001 after oh, Scott Brocious, maybe. Right. But that was in, uh, if I remember correctly, that's in 2000. Wait, when B- I just remember, yeah, it might have been. I'm just saying. And, like, and, and the reason is because the Yankees played the A's while I was watching the Mariners play the White Sox. And then the Mariners beat the White Sox, and the Yankees beat the A's, and that's how I got the but I, but I was what I was getting at was like that photo with Derek Jeter is one that people think about, but there's also. Next year, when Byung Young Kim gives up the homer, he's like on the mound and he's like in a squat, like with his face in his hands. And you can see whoever hit the home run off of him is rounding first. It was like a great shot from the third baseline. I just will always remember like BK Kim just being so done. It's a great, it's a great video. Um, it was so so emotional. And I remember for MLB.com, um, Billy Sample, uh, who's a former player, um, uh, he and I had to do a recap of the game, and this was I think game five. And I remember he was so Billy was so emotional about how Bob Brenly ruined Byung Young Kim. He couldn't stop him going back to and, him the second day was. And I know you have to do it, but like uh, it's just yeah. I don't know if the video is still up on the internet, but I remember uh, when we shot it, he kept uh, flubbing, flubbing the the take, and he you know it was just like Billy, you just got to calm down and just just get it out. <laughs> and there's a video, and there's a video of a two shot of Billy explaining what he had wrong with what Bob Brenly did. And in it, he spits in my eye. <laughs> and, but because he had botched all the other ones, we you just had to use that it. one. Yeah. We had to use that one. And uh, yeah. So that's my memory from that night. You mentioned you were an adjunct, you were a professor for a little while. What was your favorite and least favorite thing about being a professor? Oh, well, um, my favorite thing was, um, 
uh, uh, my, my dear friend, uh, Shannon Dalton Ford as her name. She used to be a, one of the PR execs of the Mets. She was a dear friend. She passed away recently. Um, she, uh, she was a, a, a really good friend and, uh, it was a sports reporting class and part of their assignment was play by play. And the syllabus when I had inherited the class was to call like a St. John's club softball game. I was like, come on. <laughs> and I, uh, I got, I got the students a booth in city field and these kids uh, for their assignment had to call three innings of a Mets Marlins. Game. That's very and, cool. uh, That's that awesome. was pretty dope. That was, that was pretty awesome. Um, and then the least favorite thing is the absolute laziness of the kids today. <laughs> like they, I am the easiest professor in the world, but all you have to do is actually just do the damn homework. And, uh, you know, I had, I had people who the dumbest excuses for not doing assignments. It, it would, it would boggle my mind. The only reason why I left St. John's was, uh, uh, the commute. It was just kind of a, a pain in the neck to get to on um, that. If a New Jersey school, uh, you know, I do this project for Seton hall, but, if a New Jersey school wanted to uh, do a class again, I would love to do it. I, I had a lot of fun doing it. All right. Uh, one thing. Now, only one <laughs> thing you could change about baseball. <laughs> Where do we start? Um, well, one thing I would do to give baseball a fighting chance is I would outlaw that Fakakta shift. Um, <laughs> You're anti-shift guy? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it, it, first of all, um, this is the first year in history that baseball will have more strikeouts than, home, than hits. I mean, it's just, it's a crime. Uh, launch angle, uh, I mean, has become now a, a new uh, strategy and hitters, uh, number one priority when they get to the batter's box is launch angle, not contact. Um, it's why you have these, uh, all these ridiculous strikeouts. Um, I would put an imaginary line between the point of home plate to straightaway center field before the pitch is thrown. The first baseman, second baseman, right fielder can't cross it. The shortstop, third baseman, left fielder can't cross it. The only people that can play on both sides of the line the center fielder, the pitcher, and the catcher. I think if you out, I would outlaw that in ten seconds. And as soon as you did, all of a sudden, some of these two twenty averages would turn to two fifty averages, and there you're missing hit. And I, uh, I just read, I just read Smart Baseball by Keith Law, and it was um, you Keith and Law, a big Prince fan. You, uh, he is a big Prince fan, but that might be the only thing that you and him have in common based on your answer just now. Uh, he, he and I, uh, we we uh, we spar. That's fine. Uh, Keith Law is, I respect him as a journalist, but I will say that um, if he gets what he wants, um, that game won't exist when my generation <laughs> turns 75. I, 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 think baseball's uh, in a, I think baseball's in a crisis. I, I think that this is an, an unmitigated crisis. I've said that to Rob Manfred. Um, I don't think I'm an alarmist, and I think that the sport has changed. And, you know, a lot of it changed for me personally when my friend was killed. Um, but, uh, and I thought for a while that maybe it was just me, but uh, it's not. It's it. This sport is in a dire strait, and uh, right now they're down six point five percent in attendance, lowest attendance since two thousand and two. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry, but that's not uh that's not that's not healthy enough. That 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 sport needs help. Yep. Uh, one thing, or I'm sorry, career. If you weren't working in sports, uh, probably law. Because I can, uh, I can debate. <laughs> and, um, I think that I, I was always interested. You know, when I started going to school, I didn't know that I wanted to do sports. I wanted to do news. I wanted to be a political analyst. Um, but I learned about paying dues, and I learned that in order to pay your dues, you have to cover uh, rapes and murders and kidnappings and tragedies. And 
I, I just I didn't I didn't want to be the person that people watched or listened to because they had to. Uh, pe- I wanted people to listen because they wanted to. And they, they wanted entertainment. And so while I take sports very seriously, I have a very strong grip on reality. And I, I, you know, it is just games and it's just fun. And that's why I take the Hall of Justice and I take that genre very seriously also, because you know that you're not, you know, you're not talking about uh, politics and you're not talking about all these, these other things. Bucket list event you haven't witnessed yet. So a lot of people will say like World Cup or something yeah. like that. Is there something you want to do or go to? You know, I, I have thought about it, but it's, it's not a huge priority. I would love to go to uh, Wimbledon. Yes. Um, cool. I was recently in France uh, for uh, an event for Forbes, and I thought about the French Open, but I had never thought about it before, so I can't lie. and <laughs> It's always been on my list. Um, I, I, I will not cover ma- the Masters. I will not cover the, the, the Indy 500. I'm not interested. I've been to two Super Bowls. I've been to two Stanley Cup finals. I've been to two NBA finals. I've been to 12 World Series, um, two Super Bowls. Um, I, you know, I've been to all, all those different things. But uh, I think if I had one thing I'd love to do is I'd love to complete the circle of uh, baseball stadiums. Oh, okay. Right now, I've been to 25 of the current 30 stadiums. So if, if I, you know, if money was no object, I would love to go to the final five uh, stadiums. I had 26, but uh, stupid Atlanta. <laughs> they got rid of Turner Field. The so new setup down in Atlanta is good. It's pretty it's sweet. Yeah, nice. it looks nice on TV. So does Target Field in Minnesota. I've been to the Metrodome a bunch of times, but I've never been to Target Field. Yeah. Journalism peer you respect the most. Wow. Uh, who do I? Who do I? Who do I? Who do I uh, give a prop to? Um, I would have to say journalism two. Can I give two? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jason Stark. Uh, I, I just, I love his mentality. Um, I just love the way his brain works. Uh, and Bob Costas, a guy who's been a mentor of mine for a long time. Um, and I just think is a, a great broadcaster, but an even better person. Uh, he, he was on Sports with Friends. Um, and uh, just a really, I, I met him when I was a senior in college. He's a Syracuse guy. And that's kind of how I know him. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he definitely, he definitely uh, would be would be that guy. Your all right. Your last one for me. You're building the perfect broadcaster. Whose voice? Whose brain? And whose face? And I gave you a little example just to give you what I was talking about. But. Right, Jim Nance. Jim Nance went to my high school. Um, Has he been on Sports with Friends? No, he went to my high school, and I remember my Spanish teacher uh, told me that I would never amount to anything because. Uh, I, you know, one day I should, I should try to live more like Jim Nance. Um, I feel like so we I've can always, all take that advice. I've always on. personally hated Jim Nance just, <laughs> just, for, just for that. Yeah. yeah. Jim Nance would call these events. He's a great broadcaster, but I would be like, Oh God, this guy again, like, I, I <laughs> can never be the most famous person from my high school just because of this fucking guy. Um, <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but not, uh, perfect broadcaster. Um, well, the guy who has the best voice would be uh, Joel Myers, the uh, Raiders announcer. Uh, uh, There's a great story about Joel Myers when um, uh, when I was at KJR uh, before I got there. So we're talking like mid early to mid '90s. Um, KJR didn't have the Seahawks rights, so they would get the Raiders rights, and they would play Raiders games up against the Seahawks. It was a smart move, you know, it was a, a good counter programming move. 
And uh, Joel Myers was the play-by-play. And my friend, who's now uh, the afternoon drive host, uh, Dave Mahler, who's uh, known as Softy, um, he hosts the afternoon show on KJR. And uh, a superstar, you know, at, at, this, at this stage now. But he was the board op, and he would never pay attention. And one time he missed a local break. And back then, they didn't cover the breaks. So your job as a board op, if it's a local break, you have to pot down the feed and play your local commercials and then pot the game back up. And he forgot. And so he left Joel Myers up. And you hear Joel Myers going, oh, my God, when will this fucking game end? (laughs) In that really deep voice. So Joel Myers' voice, and then Joel you need Joel Myers' voice, Jason Stark's brain, I love and that. of course my face. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. there you oh, go. That's per- I mean, it's perfect. You, that guy can't be. Allowed. I'm clapping over here. You gotta have a little just ego kidding. if you want to be in this game, boy. Just kidding. If you want to learn from me, the podcast man. <laughs> no, but uh, two future podcast guests for us. Who would you recommend? I have to get guests for you now. No, you don't have to get them. Struggling we'll, to get. I'm struggling to get we'll, guests on my own. We'll, we'll go. We'll go get them. We'll go get them. One. One. Just based on what you said, we we got we got to make a run at, at Jason Stark. That would be an unbelievable. Oh sure. Just let yeah. him talk for an hour. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, you'll, you'll love him. Um, yeah, he did. Listen to sports with friends with him. He uh, he really uh, manufactures. It was funny. He signed with the Athletic, and I knew that, but it had not been announced. So when we did the interview, he says. I can tell you where I'm going, but if you do, you have to wait to p- post the podcast. And I was like, yeah, but what happens if like, you know, some baseball player dies and we didn't talk about it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like we have to post it now because it'll get outdated. And um, so we did. So it literally says like, I wonder where you'll wind up, Jason. <laughs> I, I think that when I, I honestly do think that not to extend this, but I, I do think like when ESPN made the decision to let Jason walk. It was kind of just like, all right, so you're a little bit done with baseball, like, and and that's the part I think they fired four, they fired all four of their hockey writers during yeah, the Stanley Cup during, playoffs. And, and so, like, but but for me, like, I, I loved baseball tonight. Like, grew up like Web Gems, like all that stuff. Like, watched it every single in college. I watched it the eleven o'clock one every night or ten o'clock, whatever. And and then like you know you get rid of these guys and. It's just it's tough, you know, and, and I think that's that's when you boggles my mind. Yeah, it, you see the shift going on with sports media that we've talked about a good bit, but when you let a guy like that go who's so good at what he does and such an unbelievable historian, like the trivia, like the stats, like his his Monday column, like it just was the best, you know? And when that guy goes, then you're like, Okay, well you just don't think care of it as much this about way. baseball. Well think of it this way. Um uh they they made their decisions and Brett McMurphy, who is a great college football writer, was on a buyout. And because he was still getting paid by ESPN, but couldn't put the breaking Urban Meyer story on ESPN, he put it on Facebook. He broke it on Facebook. And then he and then the best part was watching ESPN have to call him and have him on ESPN to break a story that he didn't break for them. And he did a podcast where he explained why he said yes. I would have told them to get the hell out of my way. Like, I, give me a break. Brett McMurphy, go on every other network. Why are you, what are you doing going on Fox? I mean, going on ESPN, I couldn't believe it. He, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a better, better man, better man than me. You know what I mean? Like, I, he, good, good for him. I have actually enjoyed, and, and we do have a, a, a former ESPNer coming on in a couple of weeks, just as a little teaser. I'm not going to reveal it right now, but 
I have enjoyed hearing people talk about like their buyouts and what they've been able to do and not do and, and kind of like that balance between like, well, I get paid more money to not work. But as a journalist, it's really difficult because if you're not, you know, still scooping stories and, and getting clicks and stuff like that, then, then when your buyout's up, you're not that valuable. So it's kind of like I, this, this whole like ESPN thing, like, why wouldn't you just keep those guys, pay them and then not re-sign them? Because you're still paying the money that you owe them. My best uh, example of that is uh, Jane McManus. Uh, a great writer. Uh, she wrote for ESPNW and she covered the, the tennis a lot and uh, uh, great writer, good friend. And uh, she, her husband had this opportunity to move to London and he was uh, just, you know, debating whether or not to take it because she was at ESPN. And then when she got let go, they made the decision to move to London and they needed to find a house and they got on one of those HGTV shows I, I read about this. This was, was on either Deadspin or Awful Now. I think Awful I thought, this, I thought this was tremendous. And I remember recording the episode of like, there's my friend on one of these shows. Like, I've been on baseball tonight and that impressed me. <laughs> like, yeah, they, were, they, were on, they were on House Hunters International. Because I, I remember like that was on when they were keeping track of people that had been laid off. They were like, see... Jane McManus on House Hunters because she's in London. I mean, that's she's actually back in she's back in New York uh, doing a U.S. Open radio. So I'm going to go see her next week. Uh, all right, last segment, parting shots. Same two questions to every guest. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, best advice I've ever been given uh, was a college professor, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what the original was, but he told me to change my name. Um, a professor, uh, you know, I, my name was hard to pronounce. And uh, I went to a, a like a lecture, and the dean of of Newhouse at Syracuse said um, said uh, one of the big things in this industry is name recognition. Get your name out there. And I was like, I have a name that nobody can understand. And uh, they said, Well, what's your middle name? And I said Everett. And he said, Try it. And he said, sent told me to try out for the campus TV station. Uh, and when I fill out the form, be Seth Everett. And so I did, and I got the gig. And my partner uh, at the time was uh, Dave Pash. And I remember telling him that I was going to write this other name. And he was like, don't tell anybody that because you don't want people to think you have an ego. You know, like, I got a name. I'm, I'm 18 years old. I got a fake name. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's when I became uh, Seth Everett. And I've now been Seth Everett longer than I haven't been. <laughs> wow. Now, face to face with your 25-year-old self, what are you telling that person? Uh, run to law school. <laughs> run, don't walk. <laughs> run, but start a podcast. Yeah, that's you can get the best of both worlds. You can you can make some you know you make really good money. And you can have a, a career that people either respect or don't respect, which I guess is the same with with journalists. But yeah, we we've, we've got a lot of guys that have said different things like that though, like take your school seriously or make sure you, you know your degree is what you want to do or whatever. And it's it's interesting to hear different mindsets especially between like media and stuff but it's just it's just when i was 30 when i was 30 that was kind of my benchmark and when i was 30 uh i realized that i you know the media was booming and it was a great time to be in it and so i loved it and i kept it going but uh, now you know everybody's downsizing i i always have a joke i have a christmas party joke that I want to go to a, I get invited to a lot of Christmas parties. <laughs> and at the end, I'd like to go to one where some joker on that's in charge stands on a bench and says, uh, here's, we had a great year. <laughs> you know, like you don't see that at any media outlet, like none, none. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's really disconcerting. 
Uh, all right. So that's it for us, Seth. I really appreciate you taking the time. I do want to give you an opportunity, like we've talked a little bit about joining the Underdog Network and we've talked about Hall of Justice and and uh, Sports with Friends, but I do want to give you extra opportunity to plug those. And then obviously, you know, you're, you're very active on Twitter. So if you want to let people know your Twitter handle and then, you know, kind of the dates when your first shows will will pop up onto people's Apple feeds with the Underdog Network underneath, please, please let us know. Yeah, I think we're going to we're planning for after Labor Day um for for the shows um shows exist uh you know i don't know when you're posting this but uh they'll they'll exist the tuesday um, tuesday it, this it's currently uh into the future it's the tuesday after labor day as we're talking oh, so, so hope you had a good labor day <laughs> sorry you blew your arm off with the fireworks um uh, but, but uh uh yeah no the shows uh we're gonna put the shows we're gonna create new feeds the shows will have all their episodes so i think for sports with friends uh we have 140 episodes um, and it's, uh, you know, the slogan is every guest is a friend or a friend of a friend. We play Jewish geography. And the reason why we created that was, uh, this, uh, this, these people on Twitter, man, they're, they're, they keep on you. Um, I was, I was putting friends on, but then, you know, fr- I have friends that are PR people and they were always sending me emails like, Hey, why don't you put this guy on? He just wrote a book on, you know, put him on your show. And there was one episode where I say, uh, welcome to sports with friends. Nice to meet you. And people were like, what the fuck do you call this show Sports with Friends? And so that's when I came up with the Jewish geography thing. Um, right. For every guest is a friend or a friend of a friend. Uh, we play Jewish geography. Uh, and then Hall of Justice, um, the slogan is, if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. Um, we take it very seriously, but we don't take it that seriously. I have some big guests. I have some big guests planned. Um, trying to get the uh, executive producer of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, we're, we're working on that for for the fall, uh, for for September for the new Underdog uh, podcast. Um, uh, but we've had uh, Zack Snyder on. <laughs> he says some derogatory things. Um, I've had Kevin Conroy, who's the voice of Batman. Um, I've had a, a bunch of actors on. We had Stephen Amell on, and and a, a bunch of different uh, different actors. We had some people from Breaking Bad on. Um, and plus, we do these reviews of these movies where all the plot is revealed, meaning uh, we don't sit there and recite the plot, but, you know, we debate the movies based on having you having seen it. And uh, that, that's a better way to do a review, to do a review and say, oh, there's a great part at the end, but I don't want to tell you. Like, that's that's it's a weak podcast and uh, that's not worth your time. This is a it, it's a hardcore review. And some of the reviews are really harsh. There's there's some movies that we crushed. Um, listen to The Last Jedi one twice. <laughs> I mean, if you guys have made it this far in the podcast, you obviously heard the first 10 or so minutes where we, we got the passion with Infinity War. So that's what you get yeah. on oh, a yeah, week-to-week yeah. basis. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember the, the one on Last Jedi. I had to like listen back and make sure like it wasn't too harsh. Like, it, it, <laughs> it's a crushing, crushing. <laughs> I'm glad I skipped that one in theaters. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out again to our sponsor, Team Synced. Uh, if you want to check them out, teamsynced.com backslash C-Y-S, T-E-A-M-S-Y-N-C-E-D.com backslash C-Y-S. And Seth, like I said, I'm Looking forward to seeing the new stuff and the episodes I've listened to of Sports with Friends have been great. I I'm gonna try to get I'm gonna try to get more into superhero movies, but I could tell right away when I brought up Infinity War, I wasn't quite at the level that I need to be to really debate them with you. So I'm gonna get in the lab, I'm gonna watch some, you know, some more movies and then we'll hopefully talk about that again soon. But I appreciate your time this morning and and like I said, we're we're looking forward to having you, man. 
Oh, thanks so much. It's been a it's been a wonderful experience so far. Um, you know, you guys uh, know uh, the passion that I have for podcasts. It's something I really, really believe in, and uh, I love that podcasts to me don't compete. So I love that you guys are giving plugs for mine. I'm going to do the same for yours, and uh, I think that's the the beauty because um, unlike radio, where if you're listening to WIP, you're not listening to the fanatic. Um, you know, this, uh, download mine, download yours, download his, listen to all of them. You know, it's, you know, it, 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 that's, that's the, the, the beauty of it. I think it's an amazing medium and you really get to know somebody. And the, like the one thing I hope that people take from an, uh, you know, an episode like this is I hope you feel like, you know, me, you know what I mean? Like feel like, you know, me. And, um, you know, I have a rule. It's actually how I met Ken Griffey Jr. Um, where I went up to him cause he had a big fight with the radio station that I had joined and I didn't know anything about this, but they had joined. And, um, I said to Ken Griffey Jr., you are more than welcome to hate me, but if you're going to hate me, you're going to know me. And, <laughs> and he really responded to that, you know? So when, when does the sports with friends with Ken Griffey Jr. Come out? He's been on. He's yeah. Been on. We got That's another one. He might be more. He, uh, he did a really cool thing when he, at his hall of fame, uh, ceremony, he, um, he told the hall of fame, that uh, after the the press conference uh, at the media availability that I had first dibs, and so there was a line of reporters waiting to talk to him, and I I went in front. There's a YouTube video uh, of him claiming when he was with the Reds uh, of him claiming that he made my career. Well, <laughs> there you go. This is this is the type of insight that you guys will get. Yeah. So Ken Griffey Jr. has been on Sports Center. Seth, I appreciate it, man, and uh, we will talk soon. All right. I, thanks a lot. Got it, man. Thanks for having me.